Well, good morning. I am so sorry that I'm not going to be in the room at the same time as you today. But uh, thanks to the wonders of technology and the wonder of Tom as well, somehow we've managed to uh, make it happen today. So thanks very much indeed for being here today. And we're going to continue our journey through the book of Nehemiah. Uh, We started at the uh, end of last year and uh, we picked it up last week with Nehemiah chapter 4 when we looked at what does it take to turn rubble into revival and what sort of God is it that does that for us. We may see rubble all over the place but God sees revival and last week we looked at how God fights for us and how There was opposition to the building of the wall, but through prayer and through continuing to work and posting a guard to protect them, somehow the wall continued and Nehemiah led the people to continue this incredible journey. But this morning I want to look at a God who fixes us. As soon as the wall was, was going up, even though there was external opposition, somehow problems arose and those problems were all around people. Do you often wonder if life would be much easier if it wasn't for people? If your job would be more enjoyable if it wasn't for pupils or parents or perhaps even parishioners? But of course, we're called into relationships. We're called to work together. I remember my first uh, A-level geography book on human geography. My teacher, Mr. Mitchell, told us to open the first page. And on the first sentence, I can remember it said, man is a gregarious animal. I had no clue what that meant then, but I think what I know now is that it means we like gathering together. And that's true across the whole of nature, isn't it? You know some of those collective nouns that we love to have, you know, a flock of sheep, because sheep always flock together, a herd of cows, of course, a crash of rhinoceroses, I love that one particularly because that sums them up brilliantly, a murder of crows, a parliament of owls, a pride of lions, even this week I learned about a loveliness of ladybirds, isn't that the most beautiful collective noun you've ever heard, a fleet of ships, a galaxy of stars, a chest of drawers, a brigade of chefs, a posse of builders. Well, I made that one up myself because I couldn't find what the collective noun for builders was. But that's the one I've chosen, a posse of builders. And here we've got these builders, in fact, probably a stack of bricklayers, really, who are building this wall, one brick at a time, perhaps having never had any experience of wall building, but they carry on building this wall. But of course, it seems that wherever there are people, there are often problems. And although the external opposition is still going on all around them at this particular time to stop them from building the wall around Jerusalem, something is happening internally now. And it's that that chapter 5 addresses for us. Nehemiah gets to grips with the internal problem of relationships breaking down. So if you've got your Bibles or you want to switch your app on this morning, then do go to Nehemiah chapter 5. We're going to read this story as we move through this talk this morning. Nehemiah chapter 5 verse 1. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we, have the, we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. 
Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. Do you see what the problem is now? These are broken people in need of rebuilding. Something very significant has gone wrong in this process of rebuilding the walls. The walls were going up, but the cry of the people got louder and louder. We are not being treated fairly. Relationships were breaking down, even though the wall was being built up. It seems like some have turned on their own people, treated them like the opposition, in fact, in need of defeating. It seems like the task has overtaken the team, that the rebuilding of the walls has become more important than restoring the people. Of course, that can happen in many different places and circumstances. We've seen recently, haven't we, how a school leader was under so much pressure from the inspection and exam results, they were pushed beyond breaking point. Workplaces driven perhaps by profits or efficiency or because of the demands of shortage of staff. Maybe even churches focused on a task, perhaps a new building perhaps, forgetting that the mission is not about a building. It is always about the hearts and lives of people. Now none of those goals in themselves are bad, but the fallout from focusing on the goal, from making that the main point, can be damaging and devastating. And I think that we see that Nehemiah understood that God hadn't called him to rebuild a wall. He'd actually called him to restore a people. And so when these problems began to happen, Nehemiah dealt with the real problem. It wasn't just about the bricks. This was about the people and their relationships. God's call is always to, about bringing in the kingdom of God. It's about bringing it in one life at a time. It's about making sure that relationships lie at the heart of what the kingdom looks like. It's the call, of course, right from the beginning in the Garden of Eden and Genesis. And you read it again in the garden, in the city, in the book of Revelation. Peter, he sums it up perfectly. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. He says this, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Let's not forget, in whatever we do, to guard relationships first. Now, in this story that we read, this ancient story in Nehemiah 5, we see that cracks were never far from the surface. And everything was already falling apart before Nehemiah became aware of it. It seems like now they were being no different from their non-believing neighbors, no different from how they had been treated in Babylon even when they were in exile. But Nehemiah knows that God's people have to be different from everyone else. What has happened is the oppressed have become the oppressors. The victims have become the victimizers. The bullied have become the bullies. The enslaved have now become the enslavers. And verse 5 is this final cry of Nehemiah 5. We have become powerless. And I'm sure many of us know what that feels like when it feels as if we've been undermined or demeaned or taken for granted or forgotten in the great scheme of what else is going on. 
So Nehemiah sets about leading this broken people to understand that they can become the people of God. That the rubble of relationships can in fact become part of the revival that God is calling them to. God sees people and he longs to see broken lives made whole again. Broken hearts renewed and broken relationships restored. So Nehemiah acts, he takes the initiative again, and he calls the people to a new way of living together. When we see brokenness around us, exploitation, something that isn't a reflection of God's people, when we're involved in part of broken relationships, whether that's on a global scale, a national scale, a community, a workplace, a family, or right close to home for each of us, there is a way forward where the rubble of ruined relationships, whatever the cause, whoever is the cause of those breakdowns, can be renewed and rebuilt. Estranged relationships, whether deliberate or careless, cause hurt and distress and despair, whether between a husband and a wife, a parent and a child, a friend and a friend, a colleague and a colleague, when relationships break down, then I believe God is sad about that and longs for place of restoration. So how does Nehemiah do it? Well, I think he gives us a pattern here that may be helpful for us if we have to confront some of that brokenness in our own lives or with the people that we know. So verse 6 and 7. Firstly, the solution is about indignation. That's the first step. There's something going on that stirs Nehemiah's heart. Just like when he saw the broken down walls of Jerusalem when he first returned uh, back in, in chapter 1 and 2. He was, he, he was distressed by it. He was dr- driven to tears because of the brokenness. And I think again, we see this indignation in Nehemiah. It mattered to him. Verse 6, when I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. Yeah, it's a great start, place to start. Whenever we see injustice or, or, or damaged relationships, that anger is really important. Righteous anger, that's the sort of anger Jesus had, wasn't it, when he went into the temple and turned the tables over. It's not uncontrolled anger. It's anger that leads to a positive solution to it. Verse 7, I pondered them in my mind. It's good to think about it, not to step into straight away and try and deal with the problem, but to step back and take a bit of time to think about the problem. And then what happened? So I called together a large meeting to deal with them. What a great thing to do, to bring together the parties involved in this problem. To invite someone who maybe there's a damaged relationship with to come and meet with you, to take that initiative. Anger, yes, because this isn't a reflection of God's heart. Taking time to think about what's the next step and then taking that initiative. What a great model that that Nehemiah has. I wonder if there's anything stirring you up that you see. I wonder if there's anything that's making you angry. Perhaps it's time to think about what next. What happens? Well, from indignation, Nehemiah moved to a place of confrontation. Now, I know confrontation isn't always easy for many of us. It's a, it's a difficult place to be. You know, whenever we're confronted with something, there, there's lots of different responses, aren't there, that we make. There's the fight response. Some of us go straight into the middle of it and fight it. Some of us will run away from it, the flight response. And so we don't want to confront anything. And then there's the freeze response. What can I do? And then I want to add a fourth response. It's the forget response. 
I just want to, I'd rather forget it than deal with it. Now, all those things are, are not a solution to the problem. Nehemiah tells us what he does. He said, as far as possible, we have brought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. He speaks the truth. He lays out the facts. This is what I'm seeing. This is what is happening. But he's speaking it from a place of love. This is a a warning, a warning out of love. Speak the truth with love. It's a very difficult balance. But Nehemiah says to them, you know, we've got this far. We've made such a difference that the wall is being built. We've returned from exile. We are the called out people. Now, come on, let's gather again around that cause. You know, in Isaiah chapter 49, the people of Israel, they're called to be a light to the Gentiles, a light for revelation. Now, I know Isaiah came a bit later, but this was the the call that that God had for his people. Let's be different. Let's show people what a a God-living, God-fearing community looks like. And Nehemiah understands that. And of course, that's the same mission Jesus gave us. He passed it on to the church to be a light in the darkness, to be salt where, where things are tasteless. Everywhere you go, we're the called out people to be different. So when things go wrong, there's a place for confrontation, a place where we challenge the behavior and the direction that people are living in. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God? He goes on, verse 9, to avoid the reproach of, to avoid the reproach of our gentler enemies. We're called to be moving in a different direction. And we, the people of God, the church, are called to do things differently as well. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus gives us a model of how to restore relationships. I, I just want to read you this passage, verses 15 to 17, in the message, because I, I think it, it freshens up that this actual responsibility that we have. Matthew 18, 15 to 17. If a fellow believer hurts you, go and tell them. I know it's not easy, but there's that place of, of gentle, loving confrontation. Work it out between the two of you. If they listen, you've made a friend. If they won't listen, take one or two others along so that the presence of witnesses will keep things honest and try again. If they still won't listen, tell the church. If they won't listen to the church, you'll have to start over from scratch. Confront them with the need for repentance and offer again God's forgiving love. This isn't about destroying somebody else. This is about restoring someone else. It's about winning them back, not forcing them away. It's about mending, not damaging further. It's about making a friend, not keeping an enemy. A soft heart from both parties can get to that place where there is restoration. Learning with humility, forgiving with rapidity, keeping short accounts, dealing with it or or putting it down. We all know what it does to hold on to anger. Nehemiah shows us from indignation to a place of confrontation. And as he confronts it, then we see how to do that. Firstly, clarification. Verse 10. I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain, but let us stop charging interest. So it's good to lend the money, he's saying, but it's against the law to charge interest. Exodus 22 lays that out very clearly. Exodus 22, 25 to 27, you can read about it there. Lend money, but don't charge interest. Nehemiah is clarifying what the situation is. It seems like they'd forgotten how to be a community. They'd been released from slavery through the Red Sea. They'd returned at last from exile in Babylon. Yet how easily they forgot 
where we started, the story of our lives. And for us, the church, our story is about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We stand together before the cross in need of a saviour, falling short of the glory of God, yet offered grace that restores and renews our relationships with him, the one who died on a cross, that we might have life in all its fullness. That's the clarification. That's the place we stand together, all in need of a saviour. It demands a response from us towards others who may have hurt us as well. And then some Next steps, Nehemiah brings about. Restitution, verse 11. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also the interest you're charging them. One percent of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. There's a restitution. There's a place that, 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 that gives back to those who have been cheated out of it. I mean, Jesus said that, didn't he? I mean, um, Zacchaeus responded, didn't he? Jesus didn't tell Zacchaeus to give back the money, but he did. In fact, he gave back more than. There's that place of restitution when damage has been done. And then there's resolution in, in, in verse 12, a resolution when the people say, we will give back. What a joyful moment. We will give back and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. As you say. See, this is the resolution point. That's the point of, of where we started. This has to move towards a place of resolution where all parties can decide to come round that, that, that resolution place. And then this place of restoration. We will do as you say. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. This is confirming this decision now. We are restored. We are back to where we started. We're back to the place that we know we need to be, where we can be one people again with no division, rebuilding those relationships that we have damaged. And then Nehemiah does something very dramatic. Verse 13, I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, in this way may God shake out of their house and possessions anyone who does not keep this promise. So may such a person, person be shaken out and emptied. Don't you just love that, that drama in this moment? They did something very visible to make it happen. And as part of this restoration process, there's an agreement, a visible recognition of what has gone on. See, God is involved in this. There's something much bigger in this. It's not just about us agreeing to be restored. It's about God being the witness of that promise that we've made. And when God witnesses it, then we're bound by his love and his commitment to us as well. And then that restoration turned into what must have been a beautiful celebration in verse 13. At this, the whole assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord, and the people did as they promised. Wow, what a moment of celebration for that community who'd got distracted by the task, and the team had taken the hit for it, but now they were back to a place where God longed for them to be, a God who fixed the relationships back as a sign of his kingdom to the nations around them. See, the rubble of relationships can turn into revival. Nehemiah, it says, devoted himself to the wall. Again, no more distractions, no more diversions, no more divisions. He still had to deal with the opposition on the outside, but now they were a people again. They'd been restored. The relationship had been fixed. And then the end of chapter 5, what a beautiful response 
to these restored relationships. He built a bigger table. Verse 17, furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table. What a table that must have been. Anyone got a table that big? As well as those who came from the surrounding nations, even bigger. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep and some poultry were prepared for me. And every 10 days, an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. Here's the celebration. A generous model of hospitality that brought people who had been damaged in their relationships into the same place to be built even more strongly. Why is it worth it? Why is it worth having relationships restored? Why is it worth doing what you can? The New Testament says to live at peace with all people as you are able. Why is it worth it? Verse 19, Nehemiah prays to God, Remember me with favor, my God, for all I have done for these people. He's not looking for reward. He's looking for God's favor. That's the reward. To know God's smile of approval again. To know that he has led with integrity and he's built these people to be the people of God again. Not only the wall, but the relationships. So that the kingdom, the restoration of God's kingdom becomes a reality. In Nehemiah 6, 1. When word came to Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it. That's the good news. That the wall had been built, and now there wasn't a gap in it. Not only in the wall, but there wasn't a gap in the people either. They were of one heart and mind. Wasn't that the prayer Jesus prayed for his people? That they might be one. To show the world that that he died on a cross so that we might have life to be the called out people to be the people restored back into relationship not only with him but with one another as well i wonder if you've got any gaps in your life at the moment i wonder if there are any gaps where the enemy is getting in where there is division where there are broken relationships is there something that needs fixing Do you need to ask God to come in and help you fix it? Relationships renewed, restored, rebuilt in our communities, in our churches, in our workplaces, in our families, in our friendships. Don't be distracted by brokenness. Just work to rebuild relationships as far as you are able. Maybe you've been hurt by someone and there is a lot of pain still around. Maybe that's caused you to step away from what God has called you to. Is it time to try and restore? Is it possible? Maybe with God's help, you might be able to take a step to restore that relationship. Maybe tell someone what they've done. Maybe tell them how it made you feel. Or maybe there's some burden you carry of a relationship that has broken down and perhaps you were part of that issue. I wonder if today that's something you need to act on, to seek a restoration place so that there's no gap in your relationship with others or with God as well. Our God can help you fix it. He can help you restore what is broken. What looks like rubble 
can become revival. Imagine the impact of reconciled relationships as we live differently and love one another as a reflection of how God loves us. Let's not destroy it, but let's rebuild it. But maybe there's another step today. Maybe your life needs to be restored back to God. Maybe that's the gap in your life today. You remember the story of the prodigal in Luke chapter 15. I love how the father kept on looking for the son to return. See, the father knew the relationship needed reconciliation. And he kept on waiting and waiting for that moment when he could be restored. If you're not in relationship with God the Father today, if that relationship is broken or damaged, can I say to you today that the Father's looking out for you. He wants to fix that relationship with you today. He longs for you to return home. And as soon as you turn around, he'll come running and welcome you home again. There's forgiveness from Jesus. There's a new start from any brokenness. There's a celebration in heaven for all those who will come home. The angels will cry, Amen, and praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, today we give you thanks that you welcome us, that you are the great restorer of brokenness. And I pray today that you will, come, you will help us to fix those places where there are gaps today in our lives, where there is pain, where there's anger and bitterness, that through the presence of your Spirit today, that we'll be still enough to listen to the whisper of your voice as you welcome us home and as you prompt us to play our part in restoring what is broken. Thank you for the task you've given us to build your kingdom. May our lives reflect your kingdom in every way. So come Holy Spirit, I pray. Restore, renew, rebuild. In the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.